Welcome to the Digital Health Insights Podcast, where NZ Hits CEO Scott Arrell brings you key thought leaders to share their experience, views, and vision on all things digital health and more. All tech enablement is essential for creating world-class health systems, and Scott's guests discuss how this can be achieved, the challenges that need addressing, the opportunities it creates, and the benefits delivered to health, disability, and social care services in New Zealand and worldwide. Greetings and many thanks for joining me today in this episode that marks a first for the show. With Eric Wren and Michael Draham from Cerner Corporation as my guests, this is the first time that I have interviewed two people at the same time, plus they're both joining us from two different locations in Australia. Well, big deal, you might say, and you'd probably be correct. But for me, this signals yet another phase in bringing key thought leaders, movers and shakers and influencers together so you can find out what they're up to and their views on the future of the sector not just in New Zealand, but globally. Talking about global, the show's reach has truly gone international as we now have listeners in Australia, the US, UK, Europe, Singapore, UAE and Nepal. Thank you to all those listening in from these and other countries. Let me know what you think, topics you may want to cover, guests to have on the show and any feedback to make sure I'm meeting your areas of interest. Just send an email on podcast at nzhit.nz That's podcast at nzhit.nz with the word podcast in the subject line. I look forward to receiving these from you. Please also check out our website at nzhit.nz. There's news items, events you might be interested in, resources and a jobs board and much more. Getting back to my guest for today's episode, based in Sydney, Eric has been with Cerner for 10 years with the last four as the senior team lead for Australia and New Zealand. Whilst Michael has recently been appointed as Cerner's Chief Nursing Officer for the APAC region. Michael is based in Brisbane and will talk about his new role, previous roles with Cerner, and where he sees the future of digital health heading. Both guests discuss the importance of population health, where does the health consumer fit in the context of population health strategies, the link to the recently released Simpson report, and does all of this contribute to the overall health and well-being of everybody living in New Zealand? With that sort of introduction, I'm sure you can't wait to hear from today's guests. So let's go have a chat. Hi there, listeners. Thanks very much for joining us today. Um, and it's my pleasure to introduce uh, Michael Dryham. How, how are you doing there, Michael? Good, Scott. Hi. Good. And also Eric Wren, uh, from all the way from Sydney. Um, how are you doing? Today, Eric. Good, Scott. Thanks for thanks for having us again. Oh, excellent! And I should have mentioned actually, Michael is tuning in to us today from uh, Brisbane or Brizzy in the, in Queensland in Australia, and uh, and of course Eric is um, as I already mentioned uh, tuning in from Sydney, New South Wales. So uh, both at this stage, kind of, um, I suppose, looking nervously across at uh, the likes of Victoria. And and uh, trying to keep an eye on what the what's happening on their on your borders there, uh, from that perspective, Michael, you know, just you know, you've told me that you sort of worked up and down the east coast of the of Australia in your career, so um, yeah, let's talk about you first, and uh, also in the context of so yeah, that, what's going on in Victoria at the moment as well, and how, you know how how it's sort of feeling in Australia, if, if that's the right way to put it. Thanks, Scott. Um... I suppose just to give a bit of context around my background, um, I've spent about 30 years on the um, the government side of health, um, 
moved across into some private sector health for a while, but but basically been in the um, in the um, public sector. Um, I have a clinical background um, on the health side. Probably the most recent roles I've had there have been a CIO for a health district, and also um, just before I left. Um, the public health system. I was. I ran a group of three hospitals as part of a health district. So, um, I'm pretty um, pretty well across sort of some of the things that we have to deal with on a day to day basis in regards to that. And um, I've got a number of colleagues who are dealing with the the COVID um, the COVID approach and supporting their communities, etc. Um, currently, so um, yes, I can give a little bit of background around sort of where I feel things are going, from my opinion. Um, most recently, um, I've been with Cerner. I've just had my 21st month anniversary with Cerner, and um, I came across to Cerner um, to be the general manager of Victoria and South Australia, um, and um, that's been. Um, really exciting um, and working very closely with a number of clients down there and expanding up into a whole range of things, including into population health. And what we're seeing is a, a large expanse in regards to population health around Victoria at the moment. And then recently, at the beginning of this month, I've transitioned into a more clinically focused strategic role, which is very much um, around working closely with our clients across um, Australia and New Zealand and broader Asia. Pacific um, around um, the value around um, health IT, but also the value around linking more broadly out of big EMRs. And um, I'm now the Chief Nursing Officer or Chief Nursing and Midwifery Officer for, um, for Cerner. And that's really quite exciting because it helps beef up our clinical team, but it also gives me a little bit more um, I suppose, exposure to a number of my ex-colleagues and getting me back to sort of my roots as well, which is really exciting from my perspective. Thanks, Scott. Yeah, and that leads me into another question is, um, yeah, what does a CNO, Chief Nursing or and Referee <laughs> Officer um, for APAC do, by the way, Australia Pacific, which, which I guess includes New Zealand? Absolutely. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, what does a CNO at Cerner do? Um, so... Give us an insight into a, yeah. into a day in the life of, of Michael. <laughs> well, it's been a couple of weeks, so the days in the life are um, I'm sort of evolving at the moment. But I'm part of, I'm working very closely with our Chief Medical Officer. Um, we work hand in glove working with our clinicians um, and our client partners on getting the value out of their investment, um, working very closely with them around um, quality, safety um, and service delivery issues. Um, we help work with them on how do they um, do their organisational change, how do they get the best value out of what they're doing and also where are you know, where's the market moving to and where else can they get value out of it? So if you look at, you know, broadly around the, the, I suppose, where Australia's gone and where New Zealand's going, and, and we'll talk a little bit later probably around the Simpson, Simpson report, We've seen a real focus on building stuff in acute care hospitals and what we're now seeing is a move into primary health care and, and really the investment Cerner's making in, in roles like mine is working very closely with our clients around expanding the boundaries up and, and how do we shift what we do to a wellness model as opposed to the illness model that, that is very much where healthcare has been funded on. And I think if you look at COVID, 
what we've seen is the importance of engaging and driving um, involvement from a community perspective because the spread of COVID, um, the communication, the the challenges that Victoria is having now in regards to um, different communities, non-English speaking backgrounds, etc. It's very important around governments working closer with their communities, with their community groups, and really bringing them along in regards to how they understand their health, how they realise the impact on their health and how they can be involved in their health rather than what we've traditionally done is say, well, when you've got a problem, come to a hospital and then we'll treat you or go to a GP. And this is really flipping it. So you you asked, you know, what what my opinion is of what's happening in Australia now. I think what we're, what we're seeing is we're being very cautious. Um, we've seen the exposure of what's happened in Victoria and there's been a, a very rapid response from the Victorian government and Victorian healthcare in regards to sort of looking at how they can contain what's going on. You've seen um, a, a fairly standard approach, you know, not the same as New Zealand, but very close to what New Zealand's done in regards to what our governments are doing. Um, and I think what we're doing now is we're, we're trying very hard to support Victoria. I think the biggest problem we have at the moment is the, you know, the impact of the community from a mental health perspective and also from just a social wellness perspective is going to be paramount because this, we've pushed them back into a lockdown period and we've already seen some repercussions around that. So I think the, the biggest issue we're seeing in Australia is how do we take care of each other, how do we support each other and how do we work together to contain this and um, I think we're both very lucky in the islands we live on and in the part of the world we currently live in and I think you know us working together from Australia and New Zealand's perspective is going to be even more important and I think holidays will either be here or in New Zealand I don't think we'll be going anywhere else in the world and and from my perspective that's really exciting because um, nearly um, it's about two years ago to the day that I was over in Christchurch having a wonderful time and doing um, drinking um, lots of beer and um, and um, catching the train over to Greymouth so um, I do miss that and I'm looking forward to doing it again so thanks Scott. Yeah thank you Michael and yeah we've got the school holidays on here now and uh, the reports from most parts of the country is just the New Zealanders have certainly taken advantage of getting out and seeing New Zealand now that you know a lot of them obviously can't go offshore for holidays. There's uh, areas like the Bay of Plenty and Coromandel hmm. uh, in the North Island are reporting just massive uh, numbers of tourists, clearly New Zealand tourists. Um, and then, of course, we've got the snow season on in the middle of North Island and down South South Island and, you know, the snow fields got a lot of snow on them and they're packed. So, yeah, one of the, the great things about, about um, our country um, is the way that we have kind of battled COVID, still got a bit of, uh, you know, outbreaks or not outbreaks, sorry, um, uh, cases occurring, which are mm -hmm. people coming in over, over the border um, and we're, you know, they're in self, well, they're in managed isolation for <laughs> two weeks and, and, of course, we're picking up people, you know, from the testing there, but not many and much better that they get picked up in that isolation period than, than not. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, then it, it pops up later on in the community. So, yeah, we're, we're not out of the woods yet, and uh, but but we're in a far better position than most other places, of course. And, and talking about a rather large island that's not really coping very well with COVID is, is, uh, is the Americas or particularly United States. Mm. And, and uh, so, Eric, and that, that's your neck of the woods. And uh, you, you've been 10 years with Cerner Corporation, uh, last four in Australia. So, you know, you would probably be, 
you know, you're probably concerned about family and friends back home, but you know, you're probably happy that you're you're living in Australia at the moment. It is, and if you would have asked me four years ago, where would I where would I be with my family, and what would be going on in the world? I doubt I would tell you uh, we would be living in Sydney on Manly Beach. Uh, we probably would have told you you were a bit crazy, but it has been. Yeah, it's been a good four years here and, and 10 years total with Cerner, primarily in the business development space. So when when a lot of these, you know, you mentioned the Simpson report and a lot of these plans and visions come about from government or, or regions or states, healthcare is complex to say the least. And it takes an entire team to uh, to provide care for a citizen at any given point. And these strategies and these visions require a lot of people from the Cerner team to contribute and and to show up and to listen and how we can contribute to that you know that strategy and and that's what we've been doing the past four years with uh, with being in New Zealand. So whilst we're based on this side of the Tasman, I think the best advice we were given, Scott, in 2016 was just just show up, listen, and, and contribute to the conversation, which is something that's been important to us through the various events of being able to provide uh, various speakers to programs that, that ends and hit might have. And it also helps as a runner. I think some of the listeners who I've met and Scott yourself know I'm an avid runner. So running the Queenstown marathon the past two years, I guess that's just icing on the cake as, as we say in America. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And I guess you'd be hoping, I think the Queensland marathon is still going ahead this year. I think it's planned for November uh, you'll be hoping that the, the Trans-Tasman bubble is open by then, you know, <laughs> for, your, for your third one this year. It is. It will be – it was always a bit of a tradition the past two years to go straight from the marathon right into HIMS, mm. just from a timing. I think plans might be a little different this year. Yeah, for sure. And there's uh, – although at the moment for New Zealand – the events like you know, running events or many other events and uh, we were talking about rugby just before we started this uh, interview um, you know we're you know typical Kiwis we're pretty uh, sometimes we're understated but other times when it comes to rugby we we tend to shout from the rooftops and and the you know the fact that we were able to have full stadiums when Super Rugby Aotearoa started uh, full stadiums for being the first country and only country in the world to achieve that um yeah, we're pretty proud of that over our, over our side of the the ditch, so to speak. So, you know, and you you know me anyway. You, if you got me if you got me started talking about running or rugby, we'd, there wouldn't be any discussion about anything else. So we we better um, move on from that from that topic. Well, hey, the um, good thing, yeah. I think the good thing, sorry, Scott. I think the good yeah. well one of the good things about the virus, you got to try and be positive, is at least Australian teams are winning again while we we're playing ourselves. So that's at least positive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true. And uh, yeah, uh, I'm a union man, not league. So we, we're not going to. No, go talking near only. That. No, we don't want to go league. Yeah. Thugs go. No, no, cool. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I thought there's uh, New South uh, Wales people were incredibly. Um, what was the word? Cockahoop. Um, I heard on the radio this morning they were trying to claim the Melbourne Cup and, and run it in Sydney and 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 the AFL final. I, I, that's really taken like kicking a Victorian down when they when when they're down, isn't it? It's like yeah, how low could you stoop? Very <laughs> Eric's much not so. Comment. <laughs> hey, well, let's talk about. Uh, sorry, no, you go. Well, I wasn't. I wasn't going to comment because 
we were going to have Australian Open tickets to go to Melbourne this year. And now I feel a bit guilty that we may we may pull it from their their reins and upset our Melbourne office a little bit. We'll see what happens. Yeah, we'll see what happens. But anyway, it it needs must too, doesn't it? Um, let's talk about uh, let's talk about Cerner Cerner Corporation. Some background to Cerner. Uh, you know, in New Zealand, there's you know, Eric, you have experienced this, I'm sure. There's kind of you know, small country. Um, we are very proud of what we do achieve for a small country, small population. Uh, can tend to be a bit like okay, and a bit nervous in a way, or a bit to hold a large corporation of no matter what sector what industry sort of a very large multinational kind of what is it about Cerner and you know so you have made a commitment that Cerner has made a commitment to New Zealand particularly over the last four years and since you've been in the role so let's talk a bit about that what what makes Cerner tick I guess and you know I know we're not this is not a a paid advertisement for Cerner but I think it is worth uh, sort of putting some context into the discussion Yeah, and I think the best way I would sum it up is someone always told me that New Zealand was small enough to do a lot of big things and was big enough to do a lot of small things, depending on what those strategies were. And as healthcare evolves and technology evolves, evolves, we we are going to move away a bit from maybe thinking we're not going to do one EHR across, across the country which is fine, and looking at it more of, well, how do we look at the entire data ecosystem and, and where can we contribute? And, and the reason we, we are invested in New Zealand is because we think, we think there's some lessons we've learned in, in similar uh, regions and countries around the world, so non-US, and a lot of those experiences we, we learn from other, other regions, and it's something we wanted to just contribute you know, to the conversation. And it's, it's a lot of variables that we think are where we want to uh, potentially uh, have those conversations on a broader level, not just saying rip and replace something, but truly keep the investment investments that have been made across both islands. And let's just have a conversation about the data you have and where we can play in that ecosystem. So whilst things have evolved a bit, and maybe when I arrived on this side of the Tasman, it, it was more about EHR. Like any good technology company, you, you have to evolve with, with where the market and, and, and the times are going. And so that's why we're, uh, that's why we're really excited about uh, the report that just came out, or the reports, mainly the Simpson report, but the momentum that the sector currently has. Yeah, that's great. And, and you know, I, I don't mind putting a plug in for the effort that you've made uh, yourself, Eric, and your colleagues that, you've, you know, you've, um, there's been times when you've got on a plane when you've been able to, of course, before COVID times and get over to New Zealand to attend an event or to participate uh, in workshops and all that sort of thing. Um, you know, we were just talking about this uh, in another discussion last week and, you know, a, another large multinational that we won't name, you know, that uh, has made it clear that you know, they're not operating in New Zealand, but they also made it clear that you know they're not an ecosystem player. It's that uh, it's intra, not inter, and um, you know so. And I've experienced that myself in terms of my role in trying to encourage uh, anybody that's participating or wants to participate in the New Zealand market to 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 be a contributor uh, rather than just a taker. And uh, I've definitely seen sooner 
do you know be a contributor and so thank you for that um as opposed to one or two others who kind of just in my view consider new zealand to be something to to take from rather than to give much to uh, so there's my little plug for uh, you know anybody that wants to come play in new zealand you got to you got to play in the whole ecosystem not well, not just not just uh, not, little, a, little bits of it that's a good point to make in that the people that we've had those conversations with from the ministries of those involved with standards who are who are trying to push the sector to agree to those standards. When we started having those virtual coffees, what, what gets us excited as a, as an industry partner is hearing people who are saying, let's, let's get together and agree and let's move on to, to the really good stuff, the cool stuff we can do together, which is, how do we affect the, the actual citizen of, of whatever you know, district you're in? And anytime we hear that philosophy or that, that belief that they truly believe interoperability should be X, Y, Z standards, that's why we absolutely want to be invested. And, and whilst it's a virtual coffee that these conversations lately have been having, it, it's the right way to do it. And, and yes, we have had experiences in other regions and countries where maybe there, there is a little more difficulty to discussing interoperability versus, versus intraoperability. And, and our position from the top down with our CEO is very clear that it has to be an interoperability discussion in that ecosystem. And, and we've put our, our stake in the ground, if you will, that that's where we want to go. And that's why the Simpson report efforts and all the other strategies going on, uh, that's why we're really excited. Even though this is a podcast, I'm actually smiling right now saying that because we are excited about that. Uh, that's excellent. And you've led us on nicely to the Simpson report, or, or more officially known as the Health and Disability System Review Report, uh, chaired by Heather Simpson. So uh, for those that uh, sort of aren't aware, hence why it's 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 such a, a, a long worded sort of title. Um, us Kiwis have do do what we do best and shortened it up and called it the Simpson Report. So uh, and that is in I guess in recognition of of Heather Simpson who who chaired the panel and spent two years. So they started pretty much two years ago. Um, they've spent close to ten million New Zealand dollars to to research and review and engage and get a lot of participation, which, you know, NZ HIP was involved with and a number of other areas, not just about uh, digital or health tech, it's about the whole health system in New Zealand and how it might be or could be restructured or changed uh, to be more effective and this sort of achieve this holy grail of a world-class health system for all people who live in New Zealand. So, and drilling down into your particular area of expertise, uh, both of you uh, around to do with population health, and there's the report itself puts a lot of emphasis on population health. So, and I just start off by just quoting from it in terms of the first page in section six, uh, where it talks about improving population health must become the driver of all planning within the system. Without successful population health strategies, individual treatment services will not be able to achieve equity or significant improvements in the overall health and well-being of New Zealanders. So that sort of set the tone of that section in the report. And I think it's then talking about your experiences. Let's start with Michael and about it, you know, how it is being defined and how would you define it if it was different and, and how will those strategies improve the well-being of, of New Zealand citizens? 
Look, um, thanks, Scott. I think, yeah, the, the, it's interesting, the definition of population health, and it really, I think, you, you know, you've summed that up quite nicely, and it is really how do you, you know, what are the, the health outcomes or, or the way, you know, the wellness outcomes of um, groups and how do, you, how do you ensure equity and accountability across those different groups or those different groups of population? And, um, and, and one of the things I like around looking through the Simpson report um, is really the some of the recommendations that are actually around ensuring that sort of that the, the the system you know the New Zealand system and and Australia's pushing down that path as well because there are synergies across you know our countries is really focused on engaging the communities and I think that's really the most important thing but also the fact that they wanted to create a network approach to how primary and community health services run and I think when you see you know and from my experience, um, working in and running hospitals, one of the biggest issues we have, you know, within Australia, and I see some of those synergies um, with my colleagues in New Zealand, is really around the the disconnect between what is the funding of big tertiary institutions, our you know our sandstone hospital type things, um, and the fact that they're very much designed on they're very resource intensive, both at a an economical and a, and a people resource intensive um, approach. They provide a whole range of support to the community in regards to places um, driving the economy, um, workforce, education, etc. But they're very much focused on, and I look at my background as a nurse, you're very much focused primarily on a illness model. It's about treating someone or working with the community when they've got a problem. And I think that what we're seeing now is, and, and what I alluded to before with the COVID stuff, what we're seeing now is how do you get greater community involvement early in the life cycle of an individual, you know, from birth to death, that allows you to work with them around their accountabilities um, where the government and other community groups so and also then the providers so you know the primary care you know the gps you know the embedded nurse practitioners the community-based healthcare groups and link to the community services so that we actually then provide a ecosystem that functions, an ecosystem that is looking around a preventative model, but an ecosystem that's looking at those people that are the most disadvantaged. And you know, if I draw on you know some of my personal experience, because I think it's always important to look back at the things that colour you know your experiences, but also things that um, you know you draw on. When I was running um, a group of hospitals, one of my hospitals was Logan Hospital, which is in a a, an area that has um, a high Indigenous population, has a high refugee population, and it has high um, um, non-English speaking background groups. Um, and, what, and we had two specific groups. We had a large Samoan population and we had a large um, Somali population. And we had a number of patients that, well, what do you call them? Call patients, and this shows again my my training. Had a number of the members of the community that are that were you know that are pregnant and were coming to the hospital for treatment. And what we saw was the disconnect between, in a sense, a traditional Anglo-Saxon model of maternity healthcare that was disconnecting from those things that are important to those communities. And one of the things that we worked on was a community-based model that engaged the communities. We created a hub. We created a um, 
a Samoan hub, a, an Indigenous Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander hub and a refugee hub in the communities that, that worked with those groups that was focused on their maternity paths, was focused on their family, was embedding that type of stuff and we put those things in shopping centres and other, other areas and linked them back to the hospital so the hospital was there to support in times of need. It wasn't there to drive the outcomes. And I think that's something that when I pick through the... When I pick through the Simpson report, I see those things coming through and that's really very mature, but it's also where the world is going. And I think that's that's really where we want to, you know, and where I want to, you know, personally in my role, but also where we want to as a company push into that space. Yes, we've had a traditional background around, you know, the core, the core components that sit in the hospitals, but what we've been doing is pushing very much into the pop health phase because we believe that's where the future is. And we believe that's where the future is because that allows those community members, those primary health care and community services to actually see what's going on with the health of the population. The fact that we're in a very data-rich world, but sometimes we're information poor because we can't pull those things together. We collect a whole range of information across different areas that are what we would see as disparate sources. And we can pull those things together through the marvels of technology to be able to help people see things or have early alerts to things. So we're, you know, and, and I'll give you an example. You know, we've worked very closely around asthmatics and what we've been trying to do is bring in mobile apps, um, population health data, air quality data, and look at linking all those things together so that you have, you know, GPs know who their patients are who are, you know, who are asthmatic, who are at high risk. And when the air quality drops, what you can do is you can then send, link those things together, send out alerts and say, look, you know, get your child indoors or make sure they've got their puffer with them or do those type of things rather than the child suddenly becoming distressed, having to be rushed to a hospital or putting the family through a whole range of, you know, um, trauma because we, you know, they don't have the information or they don't know what's going on. And all that stuff is readily available. You can knit all that together and, and put that back to the communities so that it adds value to them and it also then prevents someone going into hospital or prevents someone having their day ruined um, and it also allows the community to take greater control around that. And that's really powerful. And I think that's where, where, where we're really excited around how do you promote that type of stuff, but also where do you utilise those population health things? And, and as I said, population health is a bit of a, a catch-all. How do you link those things together and help support the communities with, with where it hits at a front end rather than waiting until you hit a hospital? And that's where we've, we've been focused and that's where we've been driving and we've been doing a lot of work um, in the UK and we've just been starting, we're just starting the work now in Australia and we see the opportunity to spread into, you know, if it's appropriate to spread into New Zealand because we think that there there is, you know, a num amount of reuse and um, um, uptake that can actually happen around sharing that and, and building on that across those communities. Yeah, thanks, and I just want to, yeah, let's, drill into the Simpson report a little bit more, uh, which flows into what you're just saying, Michael, that, and I just, just want to read a couple of sentences. They're not, not sentences that one flows from the other. I'm actually jumping sort of towards the bottom of the, the first page of, of the section six, uh, which is close to a definition of population health as I could find with 
in this section. So it says population health takes a proactive approach to promoting and protecting health, keeping individuals and populations as healthy as possible and reducing threats to health. Uh, so that uh, you know, it's close to a definition. I don't know whether it's intended to be one. Uh, but but jumping back up the page a little bit, um, it goes on to say, or it says prior to that so-called definition, that this would require a determined and ambitious shift towards prevention and promotion of health and well-being with strengthened national capacity and capability. Yes. So the operative word in there, and I've put a circle around it, so I'd emphasize it, uh, is the word shift. So to me. It's uh, a clear indication of the panel's view that we're not achieving what should be achieved because we've got to, we've actually got to take, in their words, a determined and ambitious shift, yep. not just a shift. It's got to be, it's got to be determined and ambitious. So, um, and then when we go further talks then about strength and national capacity and capability, part of that again is the part that digital and and data plays, isn't it? Yep. So you know, as we start to try to join join the dots, so to speak. So I think Eric, would you do you want to jump in here in terms of uh, kind of experience at other places that CERNA operate in around the globe, and that joining up the dots is a critical piece of this discussion. It, it is, and it's more than just the four walls of the hospital data or the, the GP data, or Michael mentioned, you know, primary. It, it may be some of those social determinants data that helps tell a story for the consumer, for the citizen, for the, for the clinician. And, and I think a story we, we've heard about in our, in our UK team is in, is in a rural in the UK where uh, the, the river is dividing the city, and on one side of the river, you have a set of citizens that has a, a certain set of data that tells a story about them. It's maybe there is less equity in the care they're getting, but on the other side of the river, um, they have more data that can say that um, there's another type of story being told, but they have the ability to pull in all that data, and everyone has agreed in the community that we all need to agree to a certain set of standards to be able to tell that story, to improve the patient care. And I think that's where, um, when, when the Simpson report talks about what are some of the barriers to population health. So they say all this great stuff, but one of the barriers they talked about was, uh, the complexities of these partnerships in the sector. And Scott, this goes back to how many times have we been discussing or since COVID started, pre-COVID, 2019, why standards matter? Because if we all can't agree to share that data to improve the citizen's care, then, then how do we go achieve everything else that this report identifies? And, and that's why we, we do support the work of, you know, Alistair at the ministry and others who are trying to get the basic standards supported. And I know ends that hit. You know, kudos, Scott, to, to you've been pushing that for years now, not just months, but, but that's where we want to see um, maybe a commitment from the sector in New Zealand and saying, let's, let's agree to this and then let's move on to the strategy and the execution. Yeah, I agree. And um, I think, uh, Michael, uh, the other couple of words in there was sort of determined and then business shift. So um, if you're drawing on experience from other countries, you know, and thinking about where New Zealand currently is at, and and to be fair, we do probably tend to uh, 
not rate ourselves as well as we possibly should. I think actually think our health system, uh, you know, it's not broken, but it definitely could be better. But we we do pretty well, uh, all things considered, right? So, um, but where where we have this ambition and this determination, are you seeing this in other parts of the world and results coming from that? Yeah, look, yes, you are. And I think that what, well, what I'm picking up here is that Governments are now struggling with the the rising cost of our current healthcare model. And when they talk about, you know, when you look at the Simpson report and you look at, you know, similar reports that have happened in other countries, um, and the UK, because of where they've gone um, in the past with the NHS, they're actually probably a little bit more mature in, in knitting those things together. But if you look at, you know, our countries, really the ambition is around how do you how do you put, you know, there's there's a large amount of funding. You know, if you look at, you know, hospital groups, you know, across, you know, states in Australia, and I am and and I haven't seen the, the financial books of, um, you know, the New Zealand healthcare, but it'll be similar. You know, the Australian dollar and the New Zealand dollar is about the same. Um, it's, you know, you're talking billions and billions of dollars. What you've got to do is then how do you actually shift that funding or change that funding mix because, that's the ambitious part is that you have to look at where do you move it to and where do you then support that. And then behind that, and this is where it gets really difficult, is that our universities producing those people, our workforce and all the other things have to be shifted into that now investment from now our buildings and everything else have to change. And also what it means too is that we have to then, you know, really look at moving things back to into community models. So that means, you know, that, you know, those big hospitals which have big ecosystems around them, you've got to then sort of say, how do, where do you push that out to the community stuff? Rather than people travelling into a hub, where do people move out to smaller hubs and other things? So so it is, a, you know, we've, we've built this over the last couple of hundred years and now what we're looking at is how do you redesign this to be able to deal with... Um, in a sense, a very different model of care um, that is that changes that you know it's a real paradigm change around you know you as a you know as a consumer of healthcare you were meant to rely on you know the system and the clinicians and you know we often say to people you know in Australia that, you know, you'll you'll believe, you know, straight away what a what a doctor or a nurse says, but you'll go and get three quotes on whether you should get your tires changed on your car. So we do have immense amounts of trust in the current model. And what we're doing now is we're saying we're trying to educate the population and we're then saying we need to change that because the current model, you know, it doesn't work for all of the community groups. It doesn't work for a multicultural um, society and it doesn't work in regards to supporting us where we need to from a future positioning point of view um, and if we continue you now it's that classic thing if you continue doing the same thing in the same way and you don't learn from your mistakes then you're not going to grow and I think that's something that you know the governments are dealing with um, it's you know very insightful from what's happening in New Zealand you do have you know um, you are in front of us in regards to the, you know, the the way the, you know, that you're working with your Maori, um, your Maori groups and and doing that. We've still got a lot to learn in Australia around how we work with our Indigenous populations. We're getting there, um, but we've got to do better. And um, and it's not just that; it's then doing you know better with other groups and and really 
you know, we're not, we're, we've still got a long way to go when you look at the disparity between, you know, different populations. That's really something that we should not be proud of and we've got to do better. Um, so I think this is our stepping stone. It's really a now around how do we, in a sense, depoliticise it. That's really the hard bit. And how do we support it as a community? Because ultimately, you know, Scott, it's people like you and me and, you know, us in our community roles we need to, and we need to work with our families and our friends and our broader community, whether it be your rugby club or your your surf lifesaving club or your running club or whatever, because that's where you where you engender the change, and that's what I think we're suddenly seeing, you know, now. And it's and it's how do we help with that? And what we're seeing in New Zealand is an increasing concern about yeah, equity and access, and yeah, yes, from Sort of looking across the Tasman, you may say that, you know, say areas of Maori health and uh, health of uh, populations such as Pacific Island and, and even a growing uh, Asian populations, uh, particularly in areas like Auckland Central. Um, yes, we probably look like we're doing well, but um, from our perspective, we can do a lot better as well. So, you know, and that's then linked to that is the whole area of access to healthcare and then the equity of how that act that healthcare is delivered and you know this growing there's a digital divide and you know we because we're in the sector we tend to espouse the fact that digital will you know close the gap uh, it also it has that same potential to broaden the gap doesn't it so, and that's uh, yeah i think that's a real challenge and when we start talking population health um, and then start uh, almost kind of flying the flag a bit too high for digital to solve it all because it still comes back to people looking after other people, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, you, you're absolutely right. And um, I think what we've suddenly discovered is people thought digital was access to, a, you know, an iPhone or equivalent or a computer. And what we're seeing now is digital is actually more than that. It's, it's access. It's it's that, you know, you get to talk about equity. It's, it's access to, you know... Um, a strong internet to be able to ensure you can be connected. Um, it's access to your data. It's access to that timely information that allows you to do what you need to do. And then it's the security and the privacy and the sharing and all those other things. And that's a that's a real, you know, that's only in the last couple of years. That's a real shift. Um, and we did, we just thought, oh, look, you know, everyone has a phone, so they, you know, so they're digital. Um, <laughs> it's it's not. But but that's but that's something I think we're learning and maturing as well because we understand the you know how that fits and what the needs are around that and then we can start tailoring things so they work better. Um, but yes, there is no you know, you know it'd be a bit cliche, but there's no panacea that actually fixes this. This is hard. This is difficult. Um, and will the Simpson report create? You know, all of the things we want it to create? No, absolutely not. But is it is it a good start and is it in the right direction? I believe it is. Um, and it's really, you know, these things ultimately is what does the community do with them as opposed to, you know, the report will solve it. <laughs> so, and, 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 you know, and us having conversations around that and engendering this type of thing is really, I think, the start of that and the basis of it. And it's got to be then how do the broader groups actually have those conversations? Sure. And there's a sort of a, coin, a phrase that I've coined actually called the, the and I might have I might have stolen it from someone else. So whoever that person is, please forgive me. But the the, the headcount paradigm, which simply put is that 
So for the last 20 years, the problem in the New Zealand health um, context, but I think also particularly in Western world uh, health systems, that the problem has been defined as uh, more people needing more care. Mm. You know, so and that's pretty much that's correct. That's not a bad way to define the problem in health is that more people need more care. And over the last few years, um, more people needing even more care. Uh, the, the challenge, though, is that the, that problem has been a, the attempts to solve that problem has been by saying, "Well, we just get more people to deliver more care," mm-hmm. and then we and then we also with those more people, we expect them to provide even more care to those who need more care. So it's kind of a this non-virtuous cycle, to be frank. And and we now know that it is not possible just to keep throwing headcount at the headcount problem. There just aren't enough people anymore to to deliver more care. If if that was possible, considering the amount of money that is thrown at health systems around the world, then we would have the the problem solved. Mm. So yeah, and that's where it draws us back into the discussion about digital and health technology. That there's the potential if we can unlock that to say, well. Um, we know that we have a finite number of people to deliver the care. Then, how do we support them the best way possible um, to to do that as a as an enabler? And we've we've kind of, in my terms, uh, overused the enabler word now. And uh, some people that have been talking to lately have picked up that <laughs> I've started to talk about uh, cr- um, f- uh, creating full digital enablement. So we need we need full enablement of digital technology to support healthcare delivery, not just as an enabler, because uh, you could almost get any you could download an app and call that an enabler, couldn't you? Yeah, very. It might work for me, might work for me, but it doesn't work for either of you. But in my view, it's an enabler. So full enablement means that we start that we actually do truly join up the dots. We do have a system um, that um, has achieved full enablement so that that's my little my little uh, kind of rant and my little lecture for the for the for the day and the listeners but um that's how i kind of interpret interpret population health yeah. unless uh, if, if digital is really going to uh, do the job that we know that it can do then we've got to get it to full enablement so uh, just on that uh, point eric last words yeah last word and i think it's what you said scott it's a good takeaway when you say full digital enablement what the report endorses and the sector has done a lot of work on with with NHIP, that's the start of that full enablement, bringing in all the data, connecting all the data, get the consumer of you, get the consumer a view of their data, the clinician a better view of that data. I mean, those are all the ambitious goals that that NHIP wants to accomplish, and the report endorses NHIP, and it it comes full circle, no pun intended to your comment of full digital enablement. And it's it's not gonna happen overnight, like Michael said, it's not all gonna happen right away, but the ambition and the plan to build that foundation is there. It, it really is, and uh, we're, we're excited to, to contribute to the conversation. I think the podcast is a, a good place for that to start, and the digital coffees and and all the work ends at HIPTA. So Scott, that's my final plug is, Thanks for continuing that effort because we, we don't see that everywhere in all the regions and areas we work. So we, we do appreciate that and, and inviting us on today. Thanks very much, Eric. And Michael, uh, thank you for joining us today. I think it's um, great to have your clinical background in 
and top on top of or in part of you know your 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 digital and health tech background. So um, this is your opportunity for your last few words and uh, a plug for uh, those Queenslanders. <laughs> Look, uh, thank you, Scott. Look, uh, yes, thank you on behalf of all Queenslanders. Um, it is, you know, we'll keep our borders shut and um, we'll enjoy the sunshine, but um, it's actually a bit chilly today um, because we've had to turn the heaters on. So it's just got below, you know, it's getting down into the teens. Um, so I'm sorry, I don't know, I'm, I'm rubbing your nose in it. Um, the Look, you're absolutely right, and I think one of the things you talked about from enablers is is very much around um, it's it's changing that approach, and it's sort of going back and sort of as you said, we keep throwing things at it. So what we're doing is where we're treating what we see in front of us, and we haven't actually cured what the problem is. And what we're and I think this is where the enablement is actually. How do you you know you can just keep you know it's like the, the, you know, I use an analogy, it's like changing a tyre on a car. You know, one person, you can do it. Two people is helpful. 50 people is absolutely useless. All right. And that's in a sense, we, we keep throwing all that in there. We haven't actually gone back and worked out what the actual problem is. And we just keep throwing people into it. And that's not going to end up solving the problem. It's going to, you know, it, people think it's looking good because we can make announcements. I've opened up this new hospital. I've employed another thousand nurses or I've done this, I've done that. And really the enablement is back to, you know, where do you as a community member, where do you as a community group, where do you as you know, that specific cultural, you know, need, what do you want to do? Do you want to look, you know, is it more around what you need to provide in your traditional, you know, your traditional models or other things that is important as opposed to let's just throw things at it in the same way we've been doing it over the last, you know, the last period of time. And that's, I think, really important. You know, for us, it's very much around how do we support that and how do we change the way that we do business to support people to access, access that information, enable that, you know, data, enable that knowledge and to be able to prevent those things into the future. And that's where we want to position ourselves and that's what we've been doing in other countries um, around the world. So thank you and um, thank you to yourself um, for organising this and thank you um, for giving us the opportunity to have a chat and it's been a, an absolute pleasure. And um, um, and I see us um, expanding on the great work that we've been doing um, over the last number of years. So thank you. Well, thank you, uh, Michael. Thank you, Eric. And we... Yeah, we'll open up the borders to you, let you in, even though we do we do tend to in the usual usual times we're put reluctant to let Aussies Aussies or Americans come into our country anyway. But you know, we, for you two guys, we'll we'll make an exception. Okay. All right. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks very much. We'll see you later. Thank and thank you, listeners, for joining us today. I hope you have enjoyed this uh, discussion with uh, Michael Dreheim of Cerner Corporation and Eric Wren of Cerner, and uh, I think it's. It started that conversation really about population health. What does it mean? Uh, what does a digital and health technology mean to it as well? And uh, you know, we will continue these conversations on uh, over the next uh, few episodes as well. Thank you, everybody. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to the Digital Health Insights Podcast with Scott Errol. Make sure to subscribe and join us again for more news, views, and stories from key health and tech leaders. For more information, please head to our website at www.nzhit.nz, where you'll find links to resources, news, events, and much more.